Well, and that was it. And I think that you look at the start list for next year. Um, and, and here's my prediction right now. I don't think it's going to go 300 miles. Um, I think it's going to go over 400 miles. Um, we're going to get to 100 hours. <laughs> no, yeah, seriously, I think that we're going to have four runners that are going to go for 300 miles. That's a lot. That's a lot of um, dot watching. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, because how do I say this? There's giants amongst the giants in the sport, right? And there are people, there are people on that list that just know when you look to the right and the left and the right, you know that they're going to be there at 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90. Um, and it's going to take a community in the end, but I think that we're going to go well into, into that fifth day, would it be? I don't, I don't even know now. Yeah. But I think that what, you know, I, I, I really believe in, in, in the strategy that I, um, so I'm, I'm going, going back for sure. And I, I made a mistake 45, 47 hours in and, um, it, it everything crumbled very quickly, but it, it was feeling so good. Um, I was very, very confident that I was going to easily get to the 72 hour mark. You just have to get to the night and then you open up at night. Um, and then you end up getting a lot of sleep. So there were times that I was getting 15 to 20 minutes of, of sleep um, in between laps on, uh, in the evening. Um, I think my quickest night lap was 35 minutes because you can open up on that night as well, okay. too. Um, and as long as you stay in that zone one and stay where your lactic acid is not, you know, being produced as quickly as it's exiting, um, you know, and, and, you know, I was checking heart rates and doing all that stuff. Um, you could end up, you know, opening up at night. And if you're getting, you know, 10, 15 minutes sleep every hour, you know, there's no reason. And as well, too, as if you're fueling and taking in your five to or four to five hundred calories per hour um, and strategizing when it comes to that. And then the mental strategies on top of, you know, how are you responding to the whistle? And I guess I guess I can get to that in a second. Um, I don't know if. Sorry, this is a bit of an example. I don't know if there could be an end. That's Dave Proctor, and this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, how is everyone doing this week? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We've got a super episode with ultra-endurance athlete Dave Proctor, race director of Canada's Outrun Rare Backyard event. He finished third at Biggs last year. He holds the Canadian 24-hour road running record of 257 kilometers set on a looped course in turin italy in 2015. he also holds a 72 hour record i think it's 500 kilometers the 12 hour treadmill record and the fastest 100 mile treadmill record there's quite a few 100 mile wins under his belt including running 170 kilometers to the start of a 100 miler the day before the race they managed to take the win the next day he attempted to run the 7,200 kilometers across Canada in 66 days to bring awareness to rare diseases to help support his son. Due to injury, he managed halfway before he had to pull the plug, but he is set up to make another attempt in May this year. Another superb episode. I've upgraded the sound again, so hopefully you see an improvement. And for those taking on the Castle Ward Backyard event this weekend, I hope you take something from this episode. Before we start, I'd just like to announce a competition that we are running for our 100th episode, which has one of, if not my favourite ultra runner of all time, Courtney Dewalter. 
The episode is being released on the 29th of February. It is sponsored by XL Sports, and the winner will receive a free race entry into this year's Seven Sisters event in either the 27km Challenge event or the 50k Skyline event. Both being held on the 15th of August. The winner will also receive a day's training in the Mall Mountains with myself and whoever they want to bring along with them on the lead up towards the race. I took part last year. Can't recommend this race enough. Without further delay, I give you Dave Proctor. Ultra running gods hadn't come together just for that one podcast. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so um, you're running a backyard next week, right? Yeah, hopefully. Um, Excellent. I, I nipped a nerve in my shoulder blade on Friday whilst putting gel in my hair. Oh, you, you, you had a grooming injury. I, I shit you not, my first ever, like, so as I, as I rubbed the gel oh. into my hands and put my two hands up, it just caught it underneath the shoulder blade. And I was like, no. Oh. Everybody's saying, what happened? I was like, uh, you know, I was lifting this big, massive box for this old lady up the stairs. And <laughs> th- these things happen, as you know, anything can happen the day before a big event. Yeah, they sure can. Absolutely. Last one standing is on next week. And um, we have, it's Castle Wald, Ward, um, Northern Ireland, and I don't even know what date it is next weekend, 15th of February. We've got mm. a very strong field out, actually. Um, we have the winner of Oman UTMB, our very own Ian Keith. He came second in the spine there to John Kelly um, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's a, he's exceptional. Dan Lawson. he's I think he's a 24-hour oh. European champion. Yeah, you have to say hi to Dan and I are good friends. Oh, yeah, you have good. to say hi to Dan for me. He's, he's hilarious. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting him, actually. We also have... Yeah, Sharon Gator, who's an ultra runner for Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So we have a real big, strong field there as well. It's as a strong field. And typically, 24-hour runners do really, really well in backyard, don't they? Yeah. I want to dive into the last one, Stan, obviously, and get as much tips as possible and then keep this podcast for myself and not share it with anybody. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah. But you almost want to start the 24-hour, like, because you talked about Dan there and Ian Keith as well. He does a lot of the 24-hour events, and mm-hmm. that's sort of long-distance sort of drawn up. Do you hold the re- the Canadian record? I do, yeah. Yeah, 257-point-something kilometers, yeah. But I've done 260-point-something point on, a, on a treadmill <laughs> yeah. as well, too. Yeah, that was, that was a, an experience. So what was that about, the treadmill? Uh, that, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a fundraiser that we ended up doing for a, a rare disease charity in, in, in Canada here. We were able to raise 85 grand on the day. And um, yeah, we broke a bunch of Guinness World Records, but that was, at the time, that was the Guinness World Record for the for the treadmill. 260.4, I think it was. Like, what did you focus on when you were doing that? Like, I'm, I'm, I think I've been on a treadmill about twice in my life. Yeah. Well, it was mostly a spot on the wall, you know? Like, you know, there was, there was numerous things that happened during throughout, throughout the day, but it was, it was, um, yeah, you know, you, and even there was a sign across the whole building and it was a little bit crooked and drove me nuts, you know, because <laughs> yeah. So, so little things like that. Um, yeah, but it just seems so long ago and it was, I think that was about four years ago. Yeah. That was 2016. The time goes yeah. by. So I actually was involved in a 24 hour treadmill event. I don't know. I don't know how far he had done. Um, he had broke the world record at one point, so it would have been before that. Mm. Very difficult, though. It's a, a very strong mental game, isn't it? Even running on a treadmill for that length of time. 
Yeah, and it is. Um, you know, last year I did a, a hundred mile treadmill um, as well too. I think it was 12 hours and 30, 25 minutes, I think. Um, but it, it's, yeah, you have, you because really you could, you could, you could put your feet to the side and stop at any time and you're really not going anywhere. Right. So it's more of a mental, you know, but that's what backyard is too. It's what, what our sport is. Um, that's why I love treadmill is it's such a, a challenge. It seems so easy, but it's really not once you kind of get into the, to the weeds. It's how you let go of that thought process, isn't it? Don't let it sort of. Well, yeah. You know, at times there's an element of mindlessness and then at other times there's an element of managing the conversations that are happening within your own own mind, right? Um, And, you know, you kind of go back and forth between those things um, to kind of create the, you know, the best experience that you have, you know, at the time, whatever that might be, right? And so, um, yeah, 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 I, I find treadmill is, is, is exactly that. You can't be distracted by nice views and trees and creek crossings and mountain summits or, or, or anything, or even any other competitors. It's just you. I remember the first time I went onto a treadmill. I'm not a gym person. Um, every now and then I'll breeze in and out. I have full membership. <laughs> I don't think I've, I went mm-hmm. last year at all, but I won't cancel it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was on the treadmill for about 20 minutes. And when I got off it, you would have thought I had vertigo. So it was at the back of the gym. I tried to walk up in a straight line. <laughs> I was just like a drunken person. Uh, trying, to oh act, no. trying to act super cool like that nobody else would notice, like virtually falling over all of the other sort of bikes and things that were there. So your 24-hour event, mm-hmm. we'll jump to it first because it's very similar to Last One Standing and it's, it's a great sort of way of laying a foundation for those type of events, isn't it? I think it is. Um, I think there's a lot of a, a lot of um, back and forth, um, you know, with the 24 hour and, and, and backyard, you know, you know, Laz calls backyard. He says, you know, speed is not rewarded. You know, I disagree. Um, I think that we're I think if you're going to want to go over 40, 50, 60, 70 hours, um, you know, speed is most definitely rewarded because it gives you more time off your feet. And so 24 hour runners, um, I mean, the successful 24 hour runners that that can carry an element of speed while while still being quite ultra efficient, um, that really has its place in 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 backyard Um, as well. Well, too, the repetitive nature of most 24 hour races are, you know, a two or or three or four kilometer loop or even a 400 meter track loop Um, and the repetitive nature of that. Um, and the repetitive nature of doing a yard over and over and over and over again. And you just go back out onto the course, just the same as you come off of, um, off of an aid station and go back onto the course. Um, it, it plays on you. And I, I think that a lot of, um, hundred mile mountain trail runners, they go into backyard and they think they're going to do really well. But I think that, you know, they're the mental blender of the repetitive nature kind of eats them alive before, before their legs give out. I've done a few training sessions on the actual backyard loop. So I did like seven loops and then the next week I done eight loops, just trying to learn the course, where to walk and right. where to run and things like that. The first time I went around with seven people, sorry, we'd done seven loops with a couple of friends and we just talked about our aches and pains mm. and I felt nothing but aches and pains going around the loops with them. The following weekend I went on my own and I didn't feel any of that because I had nobody to talk to. So I was just able to flow around it. I just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And at the end of the eighth loop, which right. was 32 miles, um, 
I just felt like I could go all day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was strange, like, because the week before I'd done one last loop, you know, I was struggling through it because we were moaning, going around it and talking about our little niggles and this and that. Like, just because you, you weren't really moaning, you were just having something to talk talk about because you're going slower around the loops. But you have to be very careful what you talk about, don't you, and, and what well, you say. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's what you all have in common. I mean, yeah, I guess you could, you know, hey, uh, you know, somebody is a, an engineer and somebody else is a mechanic, you know, and somebody else is, yeah, you know, these guys have different lifestyles. One person's married with three kids. The other person's been single all their life. Yeah, they, you know, what are they going to talk about? But, you know, in the current situation, um, hey, who doesn't have a blister here or who doesn't? Yeah, of course, we, you can talk about that. But I don't know, like, you know, I've, I've, I've been struggling with, with kind of that for the last many years and of trying to, you know, kind of master that myself. And I think this is exactly why we're all attracted to backyard is because it's kind of the ultimate mastery of, of mind manipulation and, and, and the practice of no mind and the practice of um, mindful practices, you know, sorry, there's so many different terms to to kind of go about that, but, you know, I, I keep going back to the thought um, and the practice of the, the mind only knows two things the the pictures you draw for it and the words that you tell it and so um it's funny even at blaz's backyard down in tennessee you know there's the cheerleaders there that are constantly giving you know you know messages that hey there's in, imminent pain and struggling and and whatnot out there um all the runners talk about it as well too about you know their woes and on and so forth and oh yeah oh we're so stupid look at us going out and doing another loop yeah and you have to shut that out you know, a lot of the time I end up um, having these conversations with people out on the course and I, I, I remind them that, you know, that the mind only knows those two things, the pictures you draw for it and the words that you tell it. So we have to be really careful with the, with the messages we talk about, mm. even on social media and, and whatnot. When we're talking to our friends, when we're talking about running um, these events and we typically, um, and 99.9% of the population would agree, we typically call it pain and suffering and agony. Um, and, you know, we categorically move away from pain. Um, and that's survival. That's what your ancestors did and mine did as well, too. Putting your hand in, in fire is painful. And there's a good reason you shouldn't do that. Um, but it's I find it really interesting um, why we discuss the thing that we so desperately want to get good at. And yet we still use the terminology around it to make us back away from it or to fail at it or to you know to 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 be fearful of it because you know sorry i'm going to bit down a bit of a rabbit hole here but you know i really do believe that you are only as good in as a runner because you will come up against that wall or 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 be buried you know five feet under the ground at, and at any one time and you're only as good as your default right so what is your default is your default you know, you know, oh, this is too hard. Oh, I better sit down. I better, you know, um, I'll, I'll, and, and looking for comfort. Or is it, mm, no, this really is okay, you know, because I'm not utilizing uh, the words pain and suffering and agony. I'm using the words, um, you know, you know, I, you know, I, the way I looked at backyard last year was this is just every single loop is such a unique, meaningful experience. Um, 
where, you know, I'm so glad I'm out here because I'm, I'm, I'm filling my bucket full of meaningful experiences um, that I just can't wait to get out here again and see what the next loop brings. Um, and the sad part is, is when I can't do another loop, whether I'm, you know, failing or somebody else, um, uh, you know, uh, um, ends up winning or, or whatever it is. Um, so, so I think that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Is is those messages in our head, um, in our in, in in the conversations, and you know, and little bit by little bit, we take away those words because they, I really do think they limit our performance. Yeah, I, I think we give too much value to that word pain. And mm-hmm. when we talk about the pain cave and that deep, dark place. So I had written a question, how do you navigate? I don't want you to answer this. I'm just going <laughs> to read the question out. How do you na- navigate to that deep, dark place? Already, that's just framing that. Is it, is it a deep, dark place or is it a place of growth and beauty? You know, and you, your body will process it in whatever way you decide to frame that. And that's exactly it. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, I mean, you know, I'm going to uh, share a story that's that's closer closer to you than than it is to me. Um, and we talked about Dan Lawson um, just a second ago, but Robbie Britton, um, you know, I was I had the pleasure of running with him um, in Torino, Italy in 2015. And he had the race of his life. Um, he ended up finishing, I believe, third place in, in the world that day in the 24 hour. That was a two kilometer looped course in, in a, in a downtown park in Torino, Italy. And, and I also had, had the race of my life. I ended up finishing sixth that day. Um, but you know, at the beginning of the day in a 24 hour, you're, you're not, you're not, you're pacing yourself. Right. And so you're chatting, you're, Hey, Zimbabwe, what's going on? Hey, Australia, you know, you're, you're chatting to everybody 18 hours in, there's not a lot of chatting. Right. And I looked up ahead and I saw, this guy from Great Britain smacking another American on the rear end. And he's all animated with his hands and everything. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, that's, that's weird. That's different. Because, you know, now if you look to the person beside you and, and you say, hello, they're not, you're not getting a response back. And if you do, it's like, eh, you know. <laughs> and so I go running up to him and we're 18 hours in. We're about 200 kilometers into our run. And I come running up next to him. And I said to him, hey. and he smacks me on the rear end and he says, wow, Canada, I've always wanted to visit Canada, but boy, you're looking great. Hey, aren't you having fun out here like the, like the rest of us? And, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, what the hell's with this guy, right? And that was Robbie. That was my very first experience with Robbie. Um, and if you know anything about Robbie, he's, he's a hell of a guy. Like he's just, he's out there. And so I ended up running the next two hours with with Robbie. Um, now, the very first thing we did when we ran into the infield is he ended up stopping giving my wife a kiss on the cheek. And he says, hey, listen here, sweetheart, you're attractive. Your husband's unattractive. I think you could do far better. <laughs> this is after 200 kilometers of running, right? Like, this, this, that's weird. So I asked him about 10 minutes later. I said, you're Robbie. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm in pain, man. And I, I look at you and I don't see that you're in any discomfort at all. And he says, Dave, don't don't give me that. And he says, I I don't believe that for a second. And and no, I'm 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 not in pain. And, and neither are you. And he said, Dave, you think about it. We're in a downtown Torino Park right now. We're in a populated area of Italy. And within a five mile radius of where we currently are right now, there would be at least 100 people that would die to give the, their current level of pain for your for your current current level of pain in exchange. 
um, you know, next you know, next week, there's going to be a family that has to, to bury their three-year-old child that died in a car crash. There's somebody dying of terminal disease. Um, somebody's dealing with mental illness that's considering losing, taking their life because there's no other way to solve their problems. I mean, there's real pain in the world. And Robbie looked at me and he said, Dave, when you, when you are in that space where there's real pain, I wish I could be there for you and I wish that all of your friends and family could be there for you. But today is not that day because you're going for a jog. And you got two legs to complain about. And so I think that was it. You know, Robbie had a brilliant day race that day. Now, there were way better runners on the course than Robbie Britton, but I don't think there was a better human being on the course than Robbie Britton. And the way that he frames things, um, he, he, he averaged a four-minute and eight-second per kilometer pace on the last hour of a 24-hour race. As he passed wow. by me, I was, yeah, I was trying to pass him, and as he passed by me, I just yelled, hey, can somebody drug, drug test that, that <laughs> asshole? And he, you know, turns around, he gives me a middle finger. <laughs> and so, I mean, but I, I think that's it. it. It's his attitude, right? It's the way that he yeah, frames yeah. things. Because, you know, when you think about ultra-endurance running, it's really not that hard. You know, if we could step away from mm. everything that's making us stop, right? The human body, I carry, you know, tons of body fat that I can just consume throughout, throughout a 24-hour race. Um, this is very, very doable, right? But yet, how, how is it that each one of us, you know, especially during backyard, uh, backyard type style races, you know, you just don't get up from your chair. And then that, and that's, it's a decision. If you could figure that out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a very similar story to that in my first hundred K. So I was struggling or so I thought, and what I had realized was there's about a thousand people had done this race, so it was a big field, um, so you, and it was cross-country from A to B, and I was carrying the weight of all the negativity of the people that I'd met, so I was groaning like them, all oh, my legs are sore, blah, 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 and I met this guy about mile 50, around the 80, 80K mark, and he was about 60, and he was in the race, and he asked me, how you doing? And I said, ah, oh, you know, it's it's tough, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but is it really tough? And I said, well, I'm hurting like my legs. He goes, are you really hurting though? Not in the, look where we are. And we're on top of these beautiful moors and hills. Like, he goes, have you ever seen a site as fantastic as that? And he was like, isn't it amazing that we have got the ability to actually make it this far into the race? And there's no mm -hmm. doubt we're going to finish it. And that was a real lesson for me, not only in, I hope we're not getting too deep, but <laughs> not only in the world of racing, but in life in general. Um, I wanted to be that person when people bumped mm -hmm. into me in a race because he just lifted me. And all of those niggles just started to disappear and all that fatigue. And he was 100% right. You know, there's, there's people in wheelchairs or this or that who would love to be, be able to do what I was doing right then. But I've always carried that with me. I've always wanted to be that person who was loving life, running through this race. So it's quite a similar story to that, and how you frame that. So yeah, and I think you know, I, I you know, I think the way to put it. I remember a friend came to me a, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, Dave, I'm I'm not going to win races. I'm not even going to win my age group. I'm just going to you know you know finish these races. And I wake up every day and I do my workout and I wonder. I ask myself three or four times a day. Yeah, during that workout, why am I doing this? You know, so you know what? Wh how do you how do you find motivation for a person who's not going to win? 
well, you have to redefine winning, right? And I said, you know, I don't think that, you know, Kipchoge, you know, desires the win as much as he desires the meaningful experience. I think that's that's what we all have in common, every single human being on this planet. And running happens to be our craft to go and have that meaningful experience. Other people will have different things in their lives to have those meaningful experiences. But that's really what we're after, isn't it? Is to transcend and to learn things about ourselves and to grow as human beings by having those meaningful experiences. And so you can get caught up in the moment and say, oh, hey, this is the worst thing ever. But I think sometimes when you end up digging that 10-foot hole and trying to hide in it, that's when you end up having those those moments, when you end up looking back and going, oh, wow, I, that's that's the moment that I I learned so much. Because we, we, we've engineered a super soft existence for ourselves in this first world. And it can't not redefine our, 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 our new normal, right? We, we define what's hard and painful and, 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 and challenging. You know, all the while while walking through a grocery store with 20,000 food items, you didn't need to hunt, gather, grow, or prepare. We think about that, right? Um, we have this really weird expectation and, and, and an idea of what normal is. But I think that we're all after the same thing, and that's a very human experience. Um, and sometimes there's trauma, and then there's regrowth. And if you don't have the trauma with doing something difficult or hard or challenging or outside of your comfort zone, whatever that might be. For some, it might be public speaking. For others, it might be learning to cook in the kitchen. And others, it might be running a marathon. But whatever that is, trauma, growth. It's it's a beautiful, simple thing. Yeah, Laz is exceptionally good at tapping into that, isn't he? Oh, absolutely he is. I, I love that guy. He's He's hilarious. Every single one of his races, he seems to to you know and that that voice and the laugh that he has and you know you people show up and he it's funny because even at his races he you think oh the guy just doesn't care the guy cares more than life itself Mm. you know the way that 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 he wants you to grow as a human being yourself in his race um yeah he's he's a very special human being yeah even like I'm, I'm going over to do the Barkley Classic this year, which will be exciting. Um, a friend of mine done it last year, and even just to see his photograph with Laz, and you're like, damn him! Like everybody wants mm. to get a photograph with Laz in that mm-hmm. red and black checkered shirt of his. Like, um, but he's a real icon, like in the world of ultra running. Anybody that's sort of tapped into the likes of the Barkley Marathons or the last one standing. But the last one mm-hmm. standing has just, it's almost becoming a sport of its own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it, it, it yeah, it, it, you know, there, there's so many parallels to life and there's so many, you know, people say, oh, I never quit. Well, why do we quit? Everybody quits, but just quit later than what you would typically want to quit. You know, Laz always says, you know, the, the race isn't on the course. It's the six feet between your chair and the start line. Well, that's life, isn't it? Um, There's so many parallels to the struggles in life and, you know, self-doubt and on and so forth. Um, And it's such a beautiful thing. It seems so easy until it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard him say that quite a few times. Like, yeah. But but he's created um, such a a unique vehicle in Big Dog's backyard. Like, you have that Mm -hmm. whole sense of struggle, growth, self 
and discovery, but also that community as well that running brings. It just encompasses mm-hmm. everything in life. It almost feels like the more and more I talk to people about it who have been in that event is that nobody really has worked it out yet. And it's almost that everybody who's entering these events are actually discovering the event, if that mm-hmm. makes sense in any way or form. And it's... No, absolutely. Yeah, it's growing all the time. So like this year, it w- wouldn't surprise me if we hit the 300 mile mark. Um, we've seen the likes of Maggie last year. Like she seemed to be strong at the end of that and she was ready to go. And everybody is learning about that event and themselves. And it seems, as you said there, um, originally Laz says speed doesn't work. Um, potentially because it's going longer than maybe people thought it would ever have gone. Actually, a bit of mm-hmm. speed. And Maggie showed a really good example of what sleep or at least closing your eyes for six or seven minutes can actually do for you. So if you were going quicker mm-hmm. through the race, um, you potentially could go longer. Well, that was it. And I think that you look at the start list for next year, um, and, and here's my prediction right now. I don't think it's going to go 300 miles. Um, I think it's going to go over 400 miles. Um, we're going to get to a hundred <laughs> hours. No, yeah, seriously. I think that we're going to have four runners that are going to go for 300 miles. That's a lot. That's a lot of, um, dot watching. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, because how do I say this? There's giants amongst the giants in the sport, right? And there are people, there are people on that list that just know when you look to the right and the left and the right, you know that they're going to be there at 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90. Um, And it's going to take a community in the end. But I think that we're going to go well into into that fifth day, would it be? I I don't even know now. Yeah. But I think that what, you know, I... I really believe in 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 the strategy that I um, so I'm, I'm going going back for sure, and I I made a mistake 45 47 hours in, and um, it, it, everything crumbled very quickly. But it, it was feeling so good. Um, I was very very confident that I was going to easily get to the 72 hour mark. You just have to get to the night, and then you open up at night, um, and then you end up getting a lot of sleep. So there were times that I was getting 15 to 20 minutes of, of sleep um, in between laps on, uh, in the evening. Um, I think my quickest night lap was 35 minutes because you can open up on that night as well, okay. too. Um, and as long as you stay in that zone one and stay where your lactic acid is not, you know, being produced as quickly as it's exiting, um, you know, and, and, you know, I was checking heart rates and doing all that stuff. Um, you could end up, you know, opening up at night. And if you're getting, you know, 10, 15 minutes sleep every hour, you know, there's no reason. And as well, too, as if you're fueling and taking in your five to or four to five hundred calories per hour um, and strategizing when it comes to that. And then the mental strategies on top of, you know, how are you responding to the whistle? And I guess I guess I can get to that in a second. Um, I don't know if. Sorry, this is a bit of an extent. I don't know if there could be an end. Yeah, I, I think that I think that they, they could easily go 100 hours. <laughs> There's a silence after you said that. Then it's like, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there is no end yeah. to this race. Watch it, Stephen. No, no, Stephen. Um, 
Stephen King's sort of edition of <laughs> Last One oh, Standing. Yeah. There is no end. <laughs> right, right. But once it gets down to, you know, five, four, three, two, one, it's, you know, if you don't make a mistake, you know, yeah, yeah you're not going to be running the, the, the 40 minute loops at night, but you're, you're going to be running the 45s and the 50s and you're still going to be okay. Right. So I think that there's a number of different one of my fueling strategy last year um, at Biggs was um, I never, ever, ever ate. Well, no, that's not true. Sometimes I would eat warm food just to, to stay warm at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always eat about five to 10 minutes before finishing the loop. Because the, the breaks that I took during the day and the night when you know, I was I think my average lap was 45 minutes, I believe. Um and that's day or night. So night was a lot quicker. Day or day was a, a bit slower. Um, so I'd always eat about five ten minutes before I got done every lap because the, when I sat there, I would I'd drop into a meditation and I would take a deep breath and I would get my heart rate down to a, you know a, a very low rate. And um, I know that if I could take in some difficult to to digest foods, um, you know a lot of protein, a lot of fat um, out on the course, um, it's in my gut. It's all chewed up. It's all churning down there. And if I give it 15 minutes, I can digest that. And so it's really a digestion break. It's not a rest break for your legs. It's a digestion break. And so the quicker I can get back, as long as I stay in zone one, um, I get time to digest my food. Um, So that means that I could probably take in about 100 to 130 calories per per hour more than somebody who is going to be sitting there and eating. So I would take my food out on the course with me. Um, I would drink my fluid, um, you know, there. But um, yeah, so that was my fueling strategy. Was yeah, my break, my yeah, rest that's, breaks. That's pretty, it's pretty unique, like because um, one thing I learned in training was I always came to the point of you should eat as soon as you arrive into um, the stop. So I I've done quite a, quite a few um, training loops, and what I've at the beginning I was just eating recklessly when I arrived to see what would go well in my belly. But then I found if I was eating just before I took off again, so I was taking a 10 minute break between every loop and my stomach was unsettled and it was uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, as soon as I come back, I need to eat. And even that was a big benefit because I had 10 minutes for my food to settle before I went out. Um, Mm -hmm. But actually eating on the course before you come in, has so many positives to that. You've even got more time then. You don't have to think. Yeah. Because it's about resting and conserving energy. That's the key thing, isn't it, really? Well, it's really about timing. You, you, The time always is ticking, right? So how are you best utilizing the time with your body's different body systems? You have your muscular systems. You have your neurological systems. But you also, your biggest thing with ultra-endurance running, the further you go, your digestive system, your gut, um, has a massive, massive role in it. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if I'm taking in 100 hour calories more per hour than the other person, um, 12 hours later, 24 hours later, there is a significant difference. Um, it, it's just, yeah, there, there, there's, there's no question. Yeah. Do you go on calorie count then? Or like, are you trying now, to get some sort of like 500 calories per hour or whatever into your body at least? Yeah. Yeah. We'll do a rough count. Um, and so a lot of the boost, you know, uh, high calorie drinks, I think there was were 420 calories. Uh, I would take those out on the course. So I'd do that plus something else. Um, 
my favorite was pie in a bag. You end up taking these large Ziploc bags and you stuff, you know, a quarter of a pie into that. And, um, and you just like, you know, kind of squeeze it into your mouth. Um, that was probably my favorite. Cause then you end up going with pecan pies and apple pies and blueberry pies. And it's always gave you a different flavor and then it mushed around as well too. So it was just this gelatinous mass. And then who doesn't like pie, right? It's, yeah. it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And what about fluids then? Were you taking anything like tailwind or just ordinary fluids? Yeah, I was taking in scratch. Uh, it has a little bit of calories in it, but really I find it's just a really good mixture with electrolytes and it keeps you, keeps you on track. And yeah. how, how was your stomach then in last year's event? Oh, it was excellent. Yeah. No, there wasn't any one time where I felt, um, you know, out, you know, out of control. Um, yeah. You know, I would typically eat, rest, digest. If there was any question that there was still food in my gut, I would end up taking um, a ginger chew with me and I would just suck on that for the first, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And typically that would just settle. Um, so if I overdo it and it goes 600 calories, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's a bit much. And then ginger chew and then you're good to go. Yeah, you, you really come in tune to your body, don't you, in these type of events? Well, yeah, you, you have to. You, you, you know, your body's telling you everything. If you're craving a certain food, you're probably lacking in that whatever nutrient that is. So just listen. Um, and the, I find the best way to do that is 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 through your training. Just, you know, uh, have, a, have a mindful practice and ask yourself, you know, drop into a breath and then, you know, pay attention to your body. Um what's it telling you at that time? Um, and they will probably tell you, Oh, Hey, you're not doing enough core work. Um, Hey, you're, you're in zone two or you should be in zone one or whatever it is. But you know, I don't know. We have all these gadgets now that will tell you a bit of everything. And, and I, I don't know. I think if you have a relatively good mindful practice, you, you could end up, um, you know, just, just knowing all that data itself. Yeah. And I think, like the data can actually turn a good situation into a bad situation very quickly just because the mm. way you perceive it. But you touched on zone one and zone two there, the heart rate monitor. That's one thing I've been playing with, something I've always used in my training. I'm just wondering, is that a way to attack this race? I will. I'll, I'll use it on and off. I, I don't trust the, the heart rate monitor that's in the wrist that, that yeah, no. you know, that you know, it's, it's way too, it's way too erratic with, with me. Um, and, and most people that I, that I've talked to, I'll use the, the chest trap. Um, it's, it gives a, the, the best reading that you can get. Um, I won't wear it all the time or else, I don't know, I, you know, it's just, you chafe and yeah. So I'll put it on and off, uh, you know, do it for a lap and don't do it for three laps and then do it for another lap. And, and so, you know, just get the, and then typically when you're wearing it, I like to kind of guess, I'm like, I think I'm at this. And you look and you're, yeah, you're pretty close. Um, so then, then it just, you know, but let's face it, if you're dehydrated, like I, I was at the end, that's what got me in the, in the end with, um, with Biggs. Um, I just felt dehydrated and um, just wasn't taking in the fluids that, that I needed to. Um, my heart rate was through the roof at the end, um, even at a slow, slow pace. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So that's, that spells, but if you have to, if you're pushing into zone two or heaven forbid, even into zone three, when you hit a hill, um, you won't, you have a limited amount of time that you could spend there. Like that's just science. Right. And so the only, the, the best way to, 
to tackle that in training is to attack zone four or five work and then, you know, sit back into zone one. Like this morning, I got up super early in the morning and I did uh, four and a half hours on the treadmill. So I just tucked right into that zone one and you just stay there. Um, and yeah, you, you stay there and then you next workout is you're doing, you know, uh, 800 meter repeats or whatever that is. And, and you, you hammer and you feel like you're about to puke and you're tasting blood and all those things. And you're, you've got your delivery system, then you got your unpacking system and delivery system, unpacking system. You just keep working on the two of those. And what about the other competitors then? Do you use them to your advantage in any way? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, everybody's definitely playing games out there. Um, there's a movie, there's a documentary, there was a, a French uh, film producer who was there. Um, and I've, you know, Fabian is his name, and he ended up producing a film. It's going to be released in about a month or so. And he sent me the, the rough draft. And um, there's a scene in there where, um, you know, I brought a candy apple. It was a caramel covered candy apple with peanuts all over. And I love candy apples. I mean, who doesn't? We're all little children at at uh at the fairway um but um yeah did i did i need to bring it into the into the start loop um no did i do it because you know it was funny and 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 kind of got under the skin of like oh god that guy's looking comfortable and he's he's eating candy of course i did um you know there were at night at times you need to turn off your light um at other times so people were playing games because you want everybody to think that you're fine. Yeah. And a lot of time, you know, everybody, I was looking at a guy and I was like, wow, that guy looks great. And then two hours later, he's gone. You're like, where'd he go? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess he's been feeling terrible for the last six hours. And, but he wasn't, he wasn't showing it, right? It, it's so, it's so hard to call like, isn't it? Because when it went down to four people, um, I was dot watching and I was like, Dave's definitely got this now. And mm. you cannot tell in these type of events like you don't know what struggles people have gone through and you don't know how strong people really are mm-hmm. deep down mm-hmm. inside. Um, Will obviously was, there's a brilliant photograph of Will getting a drink of water and he looks like that man is gone deep. He, he, he looked terrible. And there, I, I was even talking to Maggie. I was like, like, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I need to call 911. Like, that guy looks terrible. <laughs> and he's looked terrible for the last 20 hours. Um, <laughs> and But yet somehow the guy would just keep getting up and he wouldn't die. Um, it was He was pretty spectacular to see. I think that more so than Maggie or myself or, 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 or Katie, um, he was the one that that dug the biggest hole. Um, yeah. It's It was, yeah, that was very impressive. It was quite empowering to watch, isn't it? Because it makes you question, you know, how far you can actually go. You know, have you seen that photograph of Will and he looked terrible? Oh. And you're like, um, well, I'm nowhere near that. Well, you know, when I was talking to Will and he says, you know, all you're doing is you're going for a 6.7 kilometer run. That's all you're doing. So you just do one more loop. Like today, if I said, hey, go up for a 6.7 kilometer run, you're like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you just do that, and then you do another one and another one. So you're not going for a 400-kilometer run. You're going for a 6.7-kilometer run and then taking a bit of a break, and then, oh, well, I guess I'll go do it again, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, like one of the um, one of my 
tricks that I try to um, manipulate out out on the course. Um, so I got thinking because I, I, we've got a backyard race up here in, in Canada that I that I race direct. And, you know, when we were blowing the whistles, three whistles for three minute warning, two whistles for two minute warning, one whistle. Um, so what, what happens is everybody responds to that whistle differently, right? But, 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 but people respond to different things in, in your life at, at different times, right? So what I got thinking about was Pavlov's dog theory, right? So if you ring a bell and you feed a dog, you ring a bell, you feed a dog. What's a dog going to do when you ring the bell the next time? He's going to salivate. You know, you ring a bell, you kick a dog. You ring a bell, you kick a dog. What's it going to do? It's going to cower. So how are you responding to that whistle? Because to the bell, it doesn't really matter. You're going to, you, if you're in the starting crowd, you're going to go, mm. right? But that whistle, I was looking at people and you'd see, you physically see them shudder, like, you know? <laughs> and I kept thinking like, okay, how do I manipulate that? So the, the four months before I started running, or sorry, the four months before back, you know, Big's Backyard, I would carry a whistle around my house and I would blow the whistle and I would hug my children and I would blow the whistle and I would de eat dark chocolate and I'd blow the whistle, I'd kiss my wife. Um, all the things that I desperately love in the world. Um, you know, wow. Sharon says, Dave, yeah, Sharon said, Dave, don't bring the whistle into the bedroom, okay? <laughs> and so, so, I, so I just didn't, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that would, you know, kids are like, Dad, what's going on? And, you know, nothing, go to bed. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it did work because um, Travis, my, my crew, my coach, he, he would wake me up, you know, about five seconds before the second whistle would, 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 would sound because he wanted me to hear it. Right. Because you lean forward, you're like, I'm not a sitter, I'm a runner, I, I need to be out there. But, you know, I think that's it. And Laz says it's true that, that six feet between your chair and the, and the start line is it. And when you hear that whistle, and you're like, you cower, you're done. There's no way you could keep going on. If you can't manage those conversations in your head and that message that's going between your own two ears, um, you're, 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 you're toast. So if you can manage that, right? Um, I think you've got backyard in the, in the bag. Yeah, it's, it's pretty unique that. And it's, you're 100% right in what you've said there because we don't make half of our decisions. We think we're in control a lot of the time of what's going on. Um, mm. It's the associations and our subconscious and how it's reacting to those, really. And I, I can imagine, you know, people running out, they're just back, they're sitting down, they're exhausted, and somebody's blowing the whistle and they're like, oh, I have to go back out there again. Um, but mm -hmm. to build a good positive association with that, and um, like, is the if the whistle is a celebration that you can actually get up and get back out again and do things that people could only wish they were doing? Um, Absolutely, yeah. Like would, I even look at, at Johan Steen from the previous year, you know, with the sixty-eight hours, right? Um, now I, I would be curious to talk to him about you know his strategy because. You know what it sounded like in 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 some interviews after he's he said you know it just wasn't a question i was always going to get up i was always going to show up and you know i i believe that about him like he 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 has this mental shut off where he's like no that's not an option mm -hmm. like if i was eaten by a wolf on the course uh, yeah yeah i wouldn't show up but but when it comes to will yeah no like i'm i'm showing up it's it's not even a question so talk to me about 
when you pulled out last year then and like it obviously happens it's not an immediate thing that happens it's it's a slight downward spiraling sort of slope yeah um, i think on the 50 hour mark that's when everything kind of went south south um i remember i was out on the course and i was only maybe about five minutes away and i was eating my food and all of a sudden i started getting real dizzy and i started feeling my heart rate go through the roof and i was like oh, oh this isn't good so i came running in and it was still a good time it was like i don't know like 48 minutes or something and um I came in and there were all these, of course, when things go down to four and three and um, everybody gets tight. And, and when you come in, everybody's staring. And so I just whispered to my coach, Travis, I said, hey, I, I, I'm in serious trouble. We need to correct whatever this is. And um, he went through the checklist and he was like, I think you're dehydrated. Right around 45 hours in, I, um, I remember telling him that. I was like, you know, Travis, I'm super pissed because I have to go pee all the time. Like on the course, I'm always having to stop and go pee like twice a loop. Um, and he looked at my bottle and he was like, oh, okay, you know what? It's really not that warm out. You probably are over consuming your fluids. Let's pull it back. So the problem with that is, and I think that Travis and I both learned from this mistake is that, you know, it's like when I get really drunk. I like to think I'm making good decisions, but I'm not, right? Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't trust me when I'm running for 45 hours. And so I, what I, I think what needs to happen is, is you hand me a bottle, drink this, and I drink it. Because I think what happened after that was I just started sipping my fluids. Mm -hmm. And I went down from, let's call it 700 milliliters per hour, down to 300 or so. Um, and that catches up on you four, five, six, seven hours later. And so I went out onto the next loop and I was not good. And I, I carried fluid with me out there because I said, so Travis said, Dave, it takes about three hours to get over dehydration. Um, you need to take in fluids and you need to take in about a liter and a half this hour. I said, okay. So I just went out onto the course and I was just drinking. But boy, my heart rate was through the roof and I, I was struggling. And even when Maggie and then Will passed me, they're like, hey, you OK? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm fine. I'm just going to you know, settle in for, you know, of course, I'm lying. Um, I was doing terrible. Um, yeah. And then I was out in the woods and I heard three whistles and I was like, no, because <laughs> like, as well, too, I was so dizzy and I couldn't see I couldn't even see my watch because I was like and I remember stopping and having to. It took me like 30 seconds to look at my watch. I was like, oh, that was a waste of time. Um, then I heard two whistles. And I think I got back within 30 or 40 seconds left um, before the bell rang. And so I crossed the finish line and, you know, took two steps back. And all I heard was Laz say, well, it's going to be a quick turnaround. And I was like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I Travis puts a new um, water bottles into my pack. And he said, remember, three hours, get through this. We're going to be good again. And I remember just nodding my head like, okay. Um, and boy, I, I, I did not move quickly off of that line. And I didn't get very far on the course until I realized, I was like, wow, I'm a half an hour in and 
there's no way I'm going to make it back in time. So that was, that was, that was it. Uh, I think I got, I think that was on the 53rd loop. Okay. So it just went for seven more loops, I think, didn't it? What about body, mm. what about body maintenance? And that is one thing that does worry me. Like, so body maintenance has to be a thing going in there because you're still on your legs for a long time. And even going a bit slower can actually be a bit more fatiguing on the body. I find, um, Absolutely. I try and what I found was, you know, if there's some short, quick, quick places on course, you know, take them a little bit quicker and try and sort of shake your muscles up a little bit and wake them up. And, and, but did you have a routine when you came back Any sort of stretching or, um, no, um, my, my body held up really well. Every five loops or so Travis would do a foot check. So he'd take off my socks and look over my shoe, my feet. And if there's a little blister, just, you know, correct it. And, um, you know, but I, I noticed like if you, so I had a plan, I, if I felt that my, let's say my, my lateral stabilizers, which typically in long, long runs, um, they stop firing. So I stopped getting the neurological, you know, conductivity to them. Um, I had my, my, uh, my bands there. I was going to do some monster walks and get the, get the glute meat firing again. Mm. Um, because that typically starts, you you lose the firing and then you end up having IT band issues or hamstring issues because of, or ankle issues. Um, Something happens down the chain. So it's like, okay, well, if that happens, I'll I'll, I'll do that. I didn't really have any, any, any body issues though. Um, Yeah, there was no real, real issue, but definitely um, I had the the stick, um, so I was able to, you know, you work out my quads and IT bands without getting onto the ground. Um, I, I do believe that having a crew there that they can do those things for you is, is, is really very helpful. Uh, Laz says that, you know, you don't really need a crew. I think you do. Um, yeah, you just put a lot of trust in them that they're going to wake you up at a certain time. And yeah, especially about what you said there about, it's almost a bit like being drunk and you can't really trust yourself. The crew can keep you right. Um, quite often you hear people that haven't eaten as much, haven't eaten much or you just, you get stuck in that zone. And sometimes... Well, I think that what happens, yeah. Yeah, like your brain, if I, I, I really wish that we, we knew more about this. And maybe there is a study that, there that I haven't read. But I'm sure what happens is your brain, just like when you're drunk, or it just is firing in different ways and then doesn't fire in other ways. And so certain parts of your brain just aren't active. And so when I say, hey, trust me, this and this and this, no, you probably shouldn't, right? if I'm running for 12 hours, yeah, you can trust the words that I'm saying and my, my thought complex. Um, but I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people say, oh, no, I don't fall in autopilot. Oh, BS. You know, have 10 beers and you're okay to drive. No one is okay to drive. And unless you're the person that you're drunk and you, you, you think you're, you're, you're cool um, until you get into the car crash, right? So what strategy are you going to use this year? Am I allowed to ask that question? Because it's quite a game of poker, isn't it? Oh, it is. Um, you know, my, my strategy is, 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 is I, I really liked my, my, my game plan. I'm going to slow down a little bit during the day. Cause you know, day one, day two, uh, the very first couple laps I, I ran with a group. I, I tucked back a little bit, but like what you said, the, the, the conversation wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up moving away from that because I, I didn't want to hear um, about pain and suffering and agony and why are we doing this? Ha ha ha. This is so funny. It's like, no, 
no, that's what the, you know, what the words that are coming out of your mouth really aren't all that helpful guys. <laughs> um, and so, um, I will slow down a little bit, um, during the day, I'm going to keep the, the pace at night, um, because that sleep strategy, if you're really wanting to go into that third night and then fourth night, um, you got to get your sleep and you got to get it starting early. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to, is to get to that 60 hour mark, um, which is the beginning of the third night, third night, two and a half, two yeah. and a half days. Yeah. Beginning of the third night. Yeah. And, um, and then letting it roll. Um, you know, I, I have a feeling once you get to 60 hours, 72 is coming. Like it's, you know, you're running the night. Um, and, and if you're mentally strong enough to get to that 60 mark, you know, you can run a 12 hour at night. That's for sure. Um, and so, yeah, just get to the 60, look around and, um, find strength in numbers. Yeah. Um, staying away yeah, from negativity. I think that's a key thing. Don't get involved in it. Actually, absolutely. Be, be, be the beacon of light on course, yeah. you know, try and be as positive as possible. Um, just in my general life, like you, when I get up in the morning, I won't watch news or read any papers or, um, I follow uh, mindfulness practice just 10 minutes every morning. And I try mm-hmm. to stay away from as much negativity as possible because you have to mm-hmm. deal with it throughout the day, just in normal sort of life as well. So the less that you let in the better. Um, but it's not to say that you're, you can't deal with it when it comes, but a lot it comes back to what we were talking about before about how we're framing things and how our minds are well, really well easily influenced i suppose um so if people i think that's a key thing don't get involved in it <laughs> yeah you know and, it, and we have you know and the ultimate power that we have is 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 it's not about what we hear it's about what we what we what we process right and how we respond to those things um and so, you know, the cheerleaders, they're, they're, they're going to continue doing that. Um, you know, the crew and all the, you know, there's not a lot of spectators at bigs, but, um, you know, like they're going to be like, hey, you guys are crazy. Hey, this is stupid. Hey, uh, you, you are in pain. You know what? Yeah. Even Blast puts up a sign on his, on the finish line and says there is no finish. You know, all these messages are clear that, mm. yeah, this is, this is, this is hard, but I mean, Oh, create your own narrative. Um, like back to what I was saying before about meaningful experiences. Um, I, you know, there, there's, you know, I've been very blessed in my life to have many, many meaningful experiences. I'm a father of three. Um, you know, I'm married to a, a smoking hot woman. Um, you know, I've had great, great uh, running experiences, and I, I plan to to have more. Um, and you know, I think that going into the past 50, past 60, past 70, past 80 hours is just going to be one of those experiences when you're 80 years old, you're going to be sitting on a rocking chair looking back at your life and, mm-hmm. and, and going, oh, yeah. Like that was the moment that I, I lived, right? Like there's, there's, there's um, an app that I have on my phone and um, it sends me a text message, text message five times a day um reminding me of my own imminent mortality that i'm going to die um and i know it sounds terrible you know uh but what it is yeah it's an old buddhist principle right that says those who contemplate their own mortality more than five times a day tend to lead happier lives because when you know you're going to die 
because Robbie, I'm, I'm really sorry, but you will die one day. Um, and you will also, also pay taxes. And so when you know you're going to die, you tend to live. Yeah. I, right. One thing and I, so that's it. One thing I do every year and I look at the celebrity death list <laughs> to see all the yeah. different celebrities. And it shocks me, you know, oh, geez, he's away and Mr. Miyagi's away and this one's away. Um, some people might find that strange, but I actually, it fills me full of gratitude and mm -hmm. allows me then to try and absorb as much out of life as possible. And right, right. <clears throat> running's a sort of a gift that allows you to do that. So I have oh. four or five races booked this year, um, which one builds on to the next. And it gives you purpose. Mm -hmm. and Absolutely, I, it does. When you look back on the year that you've had, your memories are sort of around those moments. See, see when you, one question I've got is, do you like embrace, because you, you're very mindful and you're able to mm -hmm. process that place I'm going to call it, I'm not going to call it the pain cave <laughs> this week, but it very much it can be. Well, it's marked as the pain cave anyway. Do you enjoy being in that? I don't know if that's the right way to frame the question even like, but when you're there, do you just go through a process to sort of navigate through that? Do you enjoy being there? Because you've worked hard to get to that position. I, I absolutely relish that opportunity, right? Because, you know, I don't know. Like you back to you, you keep using the term frame, and I, I I love that because you know you could frame everything as being painful, suffering, agony. You know why the hell am I doing this? This is crazy. All these different things, or you can you know frame it with you know joy and love and purpose, um, and gratitude. And you know, um, my growth. You know, the, 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 I love my children more than life itself, um, and my growth where I can become a better father. And a better provider. And when I when I mean provider, I don't mean making money, but I I provide them with 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 you know opportunity for growth uh, by mm -hmm. by being a better human being and by mirroring for them. Most of these things that I've learned through is through running, and I think that's that's such a gift. And to 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 understand to to look a gift horse in the mouth uh, deep into a race or. Uh, having an opportunity deep into a training run or even intervals like I find intervals um, when you're going super, super fast or, well, for me, not very fast, but but you're working really hard. You know, it's like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm really testing um, where where things are at. You know, that's such an opportunity for growth. I, every, I always say in, in every single run, we always get to 95 percent and then we give up. You know, but that final 5% is growth. And it's not growth upon your physiological structure and how your, your mitochondria are working in your cells to be able to make you run faster. But it's that personal growth of like, you know, finishing what you start and, um, you know, and, and really believing what you believe in. Um, and um, yeah, there, there's, there's so many opportunities for growth or you could just say, hey, I'm a victim here. This is hard. I have no control over my thoughts and feelings because this is painful. Um, or you could take control. And so um, I think mindful practices are important in, 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 in life, but I think it's all about execution and taking those opportunities within your craft so that you can end up, you know, shifting that, that way that you think about, you know, your workout into life. And, 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 and that's like the ultimate gift. Have you always been as mindful as you are now? 
no, no, no. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I find the more mindful I get, the more success I have within my sport. Um, and so, um, and you know, through philanthropy and, and through, you know, business and through parenting and, and being a husband and things. So I don't know. Um, you know, I find that when you're rewarded, you, you know, and, 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 and you do something, you do more of those things and, and the things that get you those things to get more rewards. And so, um, I find the more mindful I become, um, the more, um, success I have. So therefore I just typically lean towards mindful practice as well too. It's so bloody easy, you know, um, you know, just don't turn on your TV onto, um, whatever, uh, you know, news channel. So you can end up making fun of Donald Trump because, Hey, it's so easy to make fun of somebody instead of, you know, uh, lifting up other people around you and, and really enjoying the process of ripping somebody else apart. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to not turn on, um, um, you know, celebrity shows and, and making fun of people you don't know. Um, because that translates into your, your running, I, I believe in your character. How you talked about your kids there. Um, one thing, how do you navigate them towards that type of learning? Well, I think that, you know, you know, I, 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 when it comes to parenting and, and the lessons that I te- try to teach my kids when I'm sitting around the dinner table and I end up, Hey guys, let's talk about these certain lessons. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't know how much of that translates, but what I do know um, is that they're always watching and listening and paying attention. And so the fact that I'm not, uh, making fun of my friends and gossiping about celebrities. Um, the fact that, you know, I'll go out and do um, like a workout I did this morning, you know, um, and I did it this morning so that I can spend the day with them. And, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. so they know it happened. They know it was hard, but yet, you know, but 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 dad's not dad's not going on about it they'll ask hey dad uh you know you kind of woke me up this morning on the treadmill oh yeah sorry guys i'll I'll try to be a little bit quieter or whatever that is so they know but 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 i find it it comes down to mirroring you know just being what you want for them in the world um and they know like they're wise um i don't know about you but i think every single person in this world it doesn't matter how old you are. You're constantly that child, that five-year-old child at the side of the pool, about to dive into the pool that says, hey, me, mom and dad, watch me. Look at this. And you do the dive and then you get out of the water and you stare right over at them because you want them to applaud. Right? We have this complex with, with our parents and being accepted. And my kids do. And so, yeah, just just mirror. And then they're going to organically, you know, turn to that i think so you do ha- you have three kids all together is that right we do yeah um, absolutely one of them has a rare is it right to call it a disease yeah a rare disease yeah it's a rare disease called relapsing encephalopathy with cerebellar ataxia super long name but it's what we call it RECA in our house mm-hmm. so was it last not last year or the year before then you i don't want to go past dave proctor without talking about his transcontinental um, attempt to actually run across Canada, which sounds absolutely mind blowing. Um, mm. Also, sounds exciting. What an, an adventure! Um, how far is that? Like, it's seven thousand two hundred kilometers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a big country. 
only it's, only it's second to, to Russia. It's over twice. Oh, at, over almost, twice. yeah. yeah that is and so it's crazy. huge. I mean, even Newfoundland is nine days across an island before you get to the mainland. I mean, it's a spectacular it's a spectacular distance. Um, yeah, so in 2018, I, my wife and I, um, super long story short, um, my son's got a rare disease and he's been sick ever since he was an infant. Um, but we ran into a lot of roadblocks when it came to accessing support and, and help for, 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 for getting him what he needs. It took us over six years to get Sam's diagnosis. Um, and going through those six years, we've come to realize that, that you know, that's not all that, that unique in my country, in Canada. And we, we in Canada, we, we brag about how great our healthcare system is. But the truth is, is that we're the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy or an orphan drug plan. And so what that means is that, you know, kids like him um, and, and really anybody with a rare disease um, kind of gets told to go stand over there and we're going to get around to you. And then they don't. Um, and so... I got very frustrated. And of course, your default is anger. Uh, you want to point blame. But then quickly you realize oh, it just doesn't really work well. Uh, what do we do? So my wife and I created a foundation um, that was just really an awareness arm, uh, a vehicle for awareness. We have this uh, incredible runner in, in Canada. Back in 1980, he ran across Canada with one leg. His name's Terry Fox. Jeez. And... Terry Fox Foundation. Uh, so Terry Fox unfortunately passed away when his cancer spread uh, when he got halfway across the country. But the Terry Fox Foundation since 1980, and keep in mind as well, too, Canada is only a country of 30, 33 million people, has raised over $800 million. Wow. And so Terry Fox, if you were asking a Canadian, who's, your, who's the greatest Canadian hero? People will say Terry Fox. Uh, because he stood for a beautiful thing. And he created change because he created a conversation and raised funds and advocacy and all those things that go along with this. And so that's what we that's what we set out to do in 2018. So I started running from Victoria on the west side of Canada. And I got halfway. I was averaging just over 105 kilometers a day. And I wanted to break the Trans-Canadian speed records. That's 101 kilometers a day for 72 days in a row. And um, I ended, um, unfortunately got a, a back injury, a disc in my lower back was was shot um and i had to pull the plug but um we're doing it again in 2020 um i guess you could say that going into big's backyard this is my training run and so, so you're doing you know it, uh, you're, you're, you're attempting it again this year in, in may yeah I may 18th we're gonna start off in newfoundland i yeah. looked at your um, ultra sign up there and i was wondering why he had nothing signed up only bigs <laughs> so now i know so we're doing yeah, that it's going to be, yeah, May through to the end of July. And so, yeah, we're going to start off uh, 105 kilometers a day um, and, yeah, try to average that out over the, the entire country. You got a lot of climbing. It's, um, yeah, it's quite a beast, this country. Um, but, you know, we're, again, we're working for the Rare Disease Foundation. Outrun Rare is my, my, my charity. And we look to raise um, a couple million dollars for the Rare Disease Foundation, national awareness, but also political advocacy this year. So I'm having to get versed on uh, policy and, and policy directive, which is not my um, expertise. But yet, you know what? I 
my goal is that that this next decade, this next 10 years has to be better for my son than the last 10 years. And I would run to the ends of the earth for him. Um, and I don't know how to help any other way because I'm not a smart man. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, not a researcher. And whenever I talk to these doctors and researchers, I, I say, well, how can I better support you to better support my son? Because these are good people. And they say, um, we, need, we need a better strategy. We need a more open system when it comes to things that we don't understand. And so that's my hope is to create that for, for, for my son, but also all families living with rare disease. But it bring, you couldn't put a cost around the awareness that it brings. You know, the fundraising is amazing. Um, even the first time around, you did raise a colossal amount, didn't you? Yeah, we end up. We only got halfway across the country. I think we raised three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a lot. So it was, it was great. Yeah, and so people love this stuff. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, um, there's a lot of bad news out there, mm. but then. People really, and everybody says, oh, we gravitate towards the bad news. We want to be scared. I don't think that's true. I think that we we see these things in one another, like Terry Fox. One leg back in 1980, it was basically like he was running on a baseball bat. And so he he ran a marathon a day, 42 kilometers a day. And I think that human spirit is what we all see in ourselves. And by following those stories, um, you really, the message that I you know, would want to send average Canadians about this is, you know, how far would you go for the health and well-being of your child? And the answer is, is, is you'd go to the end here. Yeah. One question I do have is, because we all know what it's like when we go to tell our wives, um, I've entered for this race. <laughs> it's in Tennessee. Or I've entered for this race. It's in Chamonix. <laughs> like, what was that conversation like? Um, mm. I've entered this challenge was that i'm gonna run seven thousand kilometers <laughs> across well, you know it's amazing because you know like if i typically if i said hey honey i'm gonna go for a run she'll say hey when are you gonna be back i'll say oh, in two hours um hey honey i'm gonna go for a run when are you gonna be back july you know that's you know <laughs> that's pushed but you know it's 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 this is something that her and i have you know and it's really brought us so close in our marriage um, because, you know, over time, I've been married for 15 years and you partners go one way and the other ones goes the other way. And you kind of meet in the middle at dinner and you, you know, you don't really have, you know, she doesn't like to run her some of the things that she likes to do. I don't, you know, typically, you know, like them. And so, but this has really brought us close together. The stuff oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. The stuff that she does, I actually don't like. I'll edit that way, but yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that it's it, overall, we, you know, we, 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 we come together on this. And, and so, yeah, she, she, she can't run across the country. That's just something that, number one, she doesn't want to do. Number two, she does, that's not her skill set. Um, but she touches so many other parts of this that we, mm. there, there's a lot of growth within our marriage when it comes to, to this. And so I've been very lucky to get the support, the level of support from her, um, that we can go out and do these things. Now, she just, you know, jokingly says, well, Dave, yeah, you're going to be the one running all day. So you're doing all the hard work. I don't think that's true. I think that a lot of this administrative stuff is, is tough. It's partners of, of ultra runners. They, 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 they work just as hard as we do on the course. Yeah. Without a doubt, like the crew, I feel sorry for the crew sometimes. And even I, 
did actually podcast Laz a few weeks ago. And even that man sitting there ringing the bell <laughs> for like as long as it goes on. And, Absolutely. you know, sometimes it's overlooked how much work and effort the crew actually have to go through. Like, especially with something as logistically as complex as running across Canada. Um, Dave, mm-hmm. fingers and toes crossed for that. I really wish you all the best. Oh. Um, well, thank you, Robbie. I'll definitely be following you online and I'll be sharing it around to try and help get the awareness out there. And these oh, things can really pick up momentum, like can't they? Oh, they sure can, absolutely. Um, and it's really, you know, and that's 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 one of those things that we've been telling our, our policymakers and on and so forth. I said, if we can get all the eyes and ears, you don't go lobby government, you lobby people. If you can get into the, the if you can get the message across to 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 average people, to voters as well too, then policymakers have to create good policy, mm. right? And so people love getting behind good stories because there's so many bad stories. We, we don't want to focus on villains. We want to focus on heroes. And, and Robbie, you and I are, you know, you know, well, at least myself, I'm no hero, but I, but I won't stop until, 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 until the world is better for, 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 for people like my son, Sam. Dave, that's brilliant. We're going to wrap it up with that. Dave, that was Uh, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely love chatting to Dave. You can learn a lot from his mindfulness approach to both his running and life in general. We wish him all the luck this year with his transcontinental run across Canada. Over 7,200 kilometers in 66 days sounds crazy until it's done. I'll be keeping an eye on him in this year's Big Dogs Backyard Ultra. The Castle Ward event is on this weekend. Wish everyone all the best. Hope to get a few loops done myself. Hope you enjoy the podcast and see some sort of improvement in the sound. If so, why not let us know by dropping in on the Inspirational Runner podcast Facebook page and leaving a comment. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.